welcome to the Holly Springs Deep Dive Podcast. It's election season, and this series of episodes is dedicated to helping you make a well-informed decision when you cast your ballot. This week, I'm releasing interviews with candidates for the North Carolina House District 36 seat. The incumbent is Julie Von Hafen, and the challenger is John Harris. The show notes for each candidate's episode include all of their campaign pages, as well as links to their campaign finance reports. Links to check your registration status, find out where your polling place is, and view your sample ballot are included as well. Early voting starts on Thursday, October 20th through Saturday, November 5th. The Hunt Center in Holly Springs is one of the early voting locations. This episode is brought to you with the help of my Patreon supporters. Thank you. If you'd like to join the group of citizens who appreciate the type of information I provide, click the Patreon link on my website, hollyspringsdeepdive.com. This podcast is free to listen to, but it's not free to make. In this episode, you'll hear from John Harris. Let's dive in. All right. Um, I'm happy to have met a, a new person to me. Uh, he is running for District 36, uh, North Carolina House seat, and his name is John Harris. Welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. I've had the chance to listen to a few of your episodes, and so I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you a little bit tonight. Well, I'm always happy to hear about listeners, so that's good. <laughs> So um, tell us a little bit about you. Um, tell us about your background, uh, what made you decide to run for this uh, seat, and anything that you want people to know about uh, who you are as a human being. Yeah, well, great. Well, that's a big question, and I'll do my best it uh, is a to, big question. An- to, to answer it. Um, so like you said, my name is John Harris. I'm, I'm running for the North Carolina House down here in Southern Wake County. Um, I actually grew up in North Carolina, uh, not around here. There's not that many native uh, folks in Holly Springs and Apex even anymore, but I did grow up outside Winston-Salem um, in Clemens, uh, North Carolina on the western side, which is really not that different than a town kind of like Apex or Holly Springs. It's sort of a little suburb. I lived in um, Clemens. I lived in did, Clemens. Our oldest child was born at Forsyth Medical Center. I, I well, lived off of Louisville-Clemens Road. So I was born uh, in Forsyth Hospital myself, uh, and um, yep, we lived kind of uh, off of Harper Road, and then we moved um, to one of the Waterford neighborhoods, which was kind of you yep. know off Peace Haven Road in Clemens. So, um, yep, so yeah, we were and, pretty close. And I got a lot of family. Yeah, yeah. So I got a lot of family and still in the Winston Salem area as well. Get to go back there um, every yeah. year for Christmas and things like that. Um, but my family moved uh, around um, and kind of bounced around a, a couple different places. And then I ended up uh, at college at Chapel Hill. Uh, so I went to UNC for my um, undergrad and I was really fortunate to have received a scholarship um, called the Robertson Scholarship, which was kind of a neat program. Um, it was a full scholarship at UNC, but it was a joint program between UNC and Duke. Um, and the uh, sort of benefactor of the scholarship had had a son that had gone to each of the two institutions. And he set up the scholarship uh, as a way to build collaboration. But one of the aspects of the uh, deal was that for the spring semester of your sophomore year, you actually flipped and lived at the other institution. So uh, I was a Tar Heel through and through, but um, I did go the spring of my sophomore year and lived and took classes at Duke. Um, and, uh, it was a little bit like a study abroad. It felt like, uh, going 10 miles up the road to Durham. Um, but you know, you got to see a lot of the differences and some of the, uh, cultures and, um, resources that universities have, but, 
uh, it was a well, how, wonderful how, experience. How do you know who to root for for basketball games now? Uh, well, that, it's pretty easy because you always root for the good guys, which are the Tar Heels. Uh, okay. And um, if, it, if anything, the, the, uh, the time at Duke, you know, hardness, I mean, uh, 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 distance makes the heart grow fonder. And that was certainly yeah. my experience being up at Durham. But I will tell you, it's funny. My first year in, at Chapel Hill, we won the national championship. And then I had to flip and move the spring of my sophomore year to Duke, and they won the national championship. And uh, I was worried I was going to start fielding calls from coaches uh, for all of us as part of the program to come live at their campus. But I went back to Carolina. I'm, mean, a die, I'm a diehard Tar Heel fan. I'm surprised you didn't get calls. You never know what causes these things. It might be skill. It might be luck. And it might be John Harris going to your school. Who's going to say? Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, I, I had uh, demonstrable evidence that wasn't the case when we were, were unsupported over the finish line in Carolina uh, in my remaining time there. And I was actually at Carolina for in Chapel Hill for several more years because after I graduated from college, I stayed in Chapel Hill and I attended law school at um, UNC. So um, I made my way through law school loved my time in Chapel Hill, uh, all, all of the seven years there. I met my wife, um, and we got, uh, my, let's see, I met my wife the spring of my freshman year at the ripe old age of 19 years old. Uh, and then we dated through college and got married after my first year in law school. And she was studying to get a master's in fine arts and creative writing. And, um, and then after law school, we moved up to Washington DC for a year uh, and I clerked for a federal judge up in D.C. And that was a really neat experience. We knew we were only going to be there for a year. So we kind of got to soak up the um, the, the sort of D.C. stuff. And, uh, and it was a great experience working for my judge. Got to see a lot of um, neat stuff um, and, you know, work on pretty high level cases. The, I was clerking for a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal, the federal appellate court. Um, and as a court, you know, where there have been a number of um, folks at Circle Night Court that went over to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in fact, we play every year a D.C. Circuit clerks, law clerks, play the U.S. Supreme Court law clerks in a basketball game. And on the top of the United States Supreme Court, the top floor is a basketball court over the, over the courtroom. They call it the highest court in the land. Uh, oh and so we went over to the Supreme Court and the D.C. Circuit clerks destroyed the u.s supreme court clerks in basketball game which is great we won big um but it's a it was so a pretty neat experience put, did, did they put that there just because of the pun potential or, or what <laughs> that's crazy well i have heard an uh, interesting story about that basketball court um which is that one of the justices justice white uh used to really enjoy going and playing basketball up on the court at the top floor um, but, you know, obviously you're not allowed to play up there when the court is hearing arguments because the court, um, the, the basketball court is literally above the courtroom of, for the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but there was a case in which Justice White was recused, so he wasn't sitting for oral arguments. And uh, he apparently got his schedule mixed up and went and was up in the court shooting uh, free throws and shooting around. And down in the courtroom, the chief justice, Chief Justice Rehnquist, was trying to conduct arguments and they kept hearing this bouncing ball and he leaned over to his law clerk and he said, whoever is up in the basketball court right now, you can let them know they're fired. 
Uh, but it turns out it was one of his other justices uh, that he was not constitutionally <laughs> authorized to fire. So, uh, so anyway, it was oh, it was neat being story. around. Yeah, and it was neat being around DC and just getting to um, you know be part of that part of that history and uh, and again just get to kind of see what really good lawyers how they how they work and operate and see how courts um, and judges make decisions. And then after that one year, I, I, my wife and I moved back down here to the Triangle. And so this is where we moved to Southwest Wake County um, and then uh, was practicing at a law firm called Smith Anderson and was kind of just doing general business litigation, um, you know, basically helping individuals and, and companies that were in different types of disputes. And uh, and then while I was doing that, I had a really interesting opportunity that came along um, and, and I'm happy to talk about a couple. I have a couple of really interesting cases I've had a chance to work on in private practice. But um, while I was there, I had the, the interesting opportunity to come along to join the United States Department of Justice as an assistant U.S. attorney and federal prosecutor for the Eastern District of North Carolina. So the way that the U.S. DOJ operates, there's sort of the main justice, as we call it in Washington. And then there's U.S. Attorney's Office in 94 districts across the United States. And that's really where most of the federal crimes are prosecuted and um, civil matters are handled half the United States. And, uh, and so I worked in that office and we covered basically from Raleigh East. Um, and so we had the courts and federal judges that sit in uh, Greenville, in New Bern, uh, in Wilmington, in Raleigh, um, and occasionally held court up in Elizabeth City. So I travel around those, those um, different courthouses for a variety of cases. Um, I worked on civil cases and criminal cases there. And that was really just a pleasure and honor of my life, you know, to this point professionally, because you get to go in and you stand up in court and you get to say, Your Honor, good morning. My name is John Harris and I represent the people of the United States of America. And that's a really special, um, really special thing to do. And the, the cases were, were interesting. I got a lot of hands-on experience. Um, and, file, uh, and other types of litigation. Um, you know, we were trying to get taxpayer dollars back from people that were defrauding our healthcare system. Um, we were um, have a, a sort of a special program that, that, that the Eastern District of North Carolina handles. It involves the civil commitment of sexually dangerous individuals, and these are almost always child predators, and ensuring that the folks, um, you know, that need to stay locked up, stay locked up. Those are those are difficult cases, difficult subject matter, but you feel like it was really meaningful work um, to protect our community. And, that, you know, that's work when you're going up to Butner Prison and sitting across from, a you know, someone who's in custody and deposing them and then, you know, uh, working in, um, you know, working those cases all the way through to trial. So um, and, and then other just, you know, I had a, a criminal jury trial involving violent crime, you know, violent, a violent criminal and um, possession of firearm, and, um, you know, those types of matters. So. It, it was really opening for me um, and just a great experience professionally. Um, and, and I'm back in private practice now. So, um, you know, I, I left DOJ and I, I went back to the law firm and um, again, helping individuals uh, and businesses navigate, you know, all, all sorts of disputes and um, some sort of regulatory matters. And um, what I have found is a Abraham Lincoln said about law, it is a sturdy profession and uh, it, it's, you're always finding something new. And I'm somebody who really has to learn things. And uh, whatever case walks in the door, you're going to learn um, something really interesting and new. And um, that's one of the things I like about uh, being being a practicing attorney. 
and running for the North Carolina House, uh, it's, you know, when you serve and run, it's a part-time deal. So I'm still a practicing attorney. Uh, I practiced law and worked on legal matters this morning, and uh, I'll be down in Charlotte next week for a court hearing. And um, so it's, uh, you know, the, the wheels of justice continue to grind, certainly in my own life and uh, working as an attorney as well. So what made you decide that this was going to be your next step? Yeah, so... You know, it's sort of illustrated, I think, by my my background and, um, you know, moving into a world of public service um, over at DOJ and, and, and uh, being an assistant U.S. attorney. You know, I think for me, service is something that's really important. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, had spent some time just as a college student interning uh, for a state senator and sort of being around the General Assembly. Uh, but honestly, if you'd asked me a, a year ago if if, uh, if I would be running right now for the North Carolina uh, House, I, I would have given you a, a two-letter answer of no, and you probably would have gotten a six-letter answer from my wife. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, it wasn't really something that we were planning to do at, at this stage in our lives or anything like that with having little kids. Um, but, uh, you know, we really just fell when we, uh, after the census, they sort of redrew the, the districts and, um, you know, we had, had been looking around at our political system and just kind of what's happening across the state and nationally. And then really just looking at these, these children that, that, uh, that we had brought into the world and were raising, um, my three kids are six, about to be seven, four and, uh, 20 months old. And, you know, we just felt like. Um, and my wife and I had lots of conversations about this, that we just didn't really hear a lot and see a lot from people who were thinking 10 and 20 years down the road and the types of decisions we need to make politically for the long-term future of our state. Um, and I think a lot of people in politics, they think about two years and four years down the road and sort of the next election. Um, but I think that some of those long-term propositions that are going to be, what's the world going to look like when my you know, children are starting their careers, starting families of their own. That's, that's a 20 year proposition. And in North Carolina, we've been really fortunate historically to have people that have, have, have made those types of decisions and made those types of public investments. It's one of the reasons why we live in such a growing, thriving place today. Um, and I, I just think that, uh, you know, for, for me, um, that's why I really felt led and called to run. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've had, you know, quite a bit of experience that has led you to this moment. Um, have What has running been like? I would imagine that it is just tough on the psyche and, and that kind of thing. Is it, is it, was it a scary proposition? I mean, you've said you've, you know, sat across the table from, you know, criminals and all that kind of stuff, but this is a whole different ball game, you know? What is what is the actual race like? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know that I would use the word scary necessarily, but you are certainly <laughs> putting your putting yourself out there and and your name and your experiences and you're staking out ground and positions and saying, you know, this is where I am, and you're asking people to vote for you, and and so you know, there's a certain aspect of that in the is particularly in the modern political sort of arena where, you know, you better go into that clear eyed. Um, people are going to say mean, mean and nasty things about you uh, that aren't true. People are going to make assumptions about you 
that aren't true. Um, and, you know, that, that I think um, is the unfortunate reality of our you know, current political time. Um, but I, I think as, a, as an attorney and as somebody who's been sort of, in, you know, in, in the arena, particularly um, in, in the world of, of criminal litigation and, and, and work there some, uh, you, you know, you, you learn, I think, some some ability to kind of understand that when you're in a, a, an, a whether it's an election or you're in um, a, a court battle, you know, th- this stuff isn't personal. You're 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 staking out positions and you're trying to make sure that people understand where you're coming from um, so that they can make the best decision uh, possible about, in this case, who's going to represent them. Um, and you just kind of grow a, a thick skin. Um, and, and personally, I, I really enjoyed running. I, I enjoy talking to voters. I enjoy hearing what's on their mind. I enjoy learning about all these different issues and things like that, that, um, you know, the breadth at the state level is, is, is really unbelievable. You go from everything from economic development, tax policy, to, you know, deep into education issues, and not just any one niche area of education. You're talking about you know, early childhood, you're talking about K through 12 and just saying K through 12. I mean, you have a host of issues that run the gamut. You know, when you're talking about the difference between a seven-year-old and 18-year-old, and then you have higher education and community colleges and our university system, you have our criminal law, um, you have a whole variety of regulatory issues around energy, around healthcare. I mean, the breadth is really unbelievable. And, um, and, but, but I really enjoy that. And I, I enjoy, getting out and talking to voters and hear what's on hearing what's on their mind and um and and trying to you know build consist and and build bridges. I mean I think for me that's something that if you go and you look at my campaign materials online, I think if you hear me speak, um and you know certainly I go to door door every Saturday just about I talk to voters at the door. That's something I'm gonna talk about um, because I truly believe that for us to move forward as a state that we we have to acknowledge that as Republicans and Democrats and unaffiliates, you know, we are going to disagree on things. Um, but the question is not whether we can sort of convince everyone to agree with us. Uh, persuasion is important, but really where we're going to have to go is what are we going to do with the disagreement that we have? And can we broker compromise and build bridges? And one of the things that I think is really important for areas down here, like in Southern Wake County, you know, my district where I'm running is almost 50%, it's like 7% unaffiliated. Almost half the voters have chosen affirmatively not to associate themselves with a party. And the other roughly half of the, the registered voters are split almost evenly Republican and Democrat. So you have a true purple area. And in my view, you know, a lot of the state isn't like that. You've got deep blue areas, you've got deep red areas. People from these suburban areas in Southern Wake County, we should be the leaders in bipartisanship up in, in, at the General Assembly um, and trying to build consensus and, you know, build bridges. And that's something that I'm, you know, really, really passionate about. And that's the one thing that I really enjoy about campaigning um, is getting to hear from people um, and, and sort of understanding where they're coming from. Um, and just thinking about, you know, wh- where can we find that common ground? Um, the grind, um, it's just, it's just a busy grind. It is, you know, there's just, a, there's just a lot to do. Uh, so, so, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it.
Okay. Well, good. Um, so you were talking about, you know, going door to door and all of that kind of thing. One thing that I want to make sure that our listeners know is that because of the census that happened in 2020, a lot of lines got redrawn for districts. And I've talked about that a lot with other candidates um, who I've interviewed for this series. And a lot of citizens, I don't think, know that they are in a different district than they were before. So you are in District 36. I used to be in 37, but I am now in 36. Um, Can you talk about uh, where the lines are uh, and where District 36 covers now? I sure can. Uh, And it'll be a little bit complicated. And so I encourage everybody, um, if you're listening and you are interested in knowing exactly what district you live in, if you um, go to the General Assembly's website and you look up redistricting, you can actually access a interactive map that has an overlay of the district. So you can type in your own address and it'll take you, and then you can zoom out and you can kind of see where the districts are. Um, and just sort of by way of background, you know, in we've had such enormous growth in Wake County between uh, 2010 and 2020. That really what happened in Wake County is we got more districts uh, for the state house and the state Senate. And so all of the districts shrunk in geographic size um, and they, they shrunk as a result in population. So each district has about 90,000 or so uh, uh, population. And like my district has about 60 to 65,000 voters. And it is essentially the southwest corner of the county. So it has almost all of Apex and going all the way down to the Chatham County line, New Hill, all the way down Jordan Lake. Um, and then on the for, for Holly Springs folks, um, 36, where I'm running, and 37 basically divide Holly Springs east and west. So I have western Holly Springs. Basically, if you're north of Avent Ferry, and west of 55, um, then you're in 36 where I'm running. So that's your your bigger neighborhoods are Holly Glen, you know, 12 Oaks, um, and then you sort of get west of the 55 and Main Street, so you know, Bridge Bridgewater, um, and several of those neighborhoods along there. And then it sort of pokes out a little bit to the east, which uh, I think was we were talking, Karen, kind of the area where where um, you are. So that if you're north of if, if you're north of Holly Springs Road, but um, south and, and sort of southwest of Sunset Lake, so you're between Sunset Lake and Holly Springs Road, then you're also in my district. And that that's a if you vote at Holly Springs Elementary, that's the precinct there. So that's where you vote. Then you're in a, in my district as well. So those are the big Holly Springs areas. And then on the north side. I go all the way to the, um, you know, up into uh, almost to Green Level High School in uh, Cary. Uh, you know, I, that's sort of the apex Cary boundary. And then I go up into the McGregor Downs area um, of Cary and sort of Regency. And they carved out a little bit of apex to, that goes up into a north northern district. So um, it, it, the lines get a little bit wonky. You know, there's people that live three minutes from me. Uh, kind of in, in Shepherd's Vineyard Apex that aren't in my district. Uh, and, you know, kind of just the way the lines sh- uh, shook out. But basically, if you think Apex and the western half of Holly Springs, sort of west of 55, that's that's my district. 
Okay. Well, I think that what you said was important if you vote at Holly Springs Elementary. That's um, right. For for my little section of the weirdness. I mean, it sounds like the district looks like a puzzle piece, you know, with all these little protrusions sticking out in random places. Um, yeah, that's that's good. The to three know. places for Holly Springs voters are are the Holly Springs Elementary. If you vote there, then you're you're in my district. If you vote at the library uh, near downtown, you're in my district. And if you vote over at the um, firearms center. Um, then okay. you're in my district of Wake County um, Farm Center. That those those are the three precincts. Okay, I looked at my sample ballot to see what districts I was in, and that was very helpful for me. Um, but I'll put all of these links in the show notes so people can look it up, and I'll um, include the the um, resource that you talked about just a minute ago so people can know for sure um, because it is very confusing. This first, you know, the first election after all of the lines were redrawn. Um, So what are your, yeah, what are the things that you want that are like your pet issues or highest priorities that you think um, are going to be a big deal in the next uh, few years in the General Assembly? I know that you like to, you know, think about decades, um, you know, span of time, but what do you think in the near future, what do you think the biggest issues are going to be? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that the short-term uh, answers uh, have really long-term effects. And so, um, you know, I think the issues I want to work on, I think are those issues that, um, that if we can get them right, you know, they're going to be really beneficial for us 10 and 20 years down the road. So the sort of three three big themes that I talk about, and I'll, I'll drill down a little bit on some of the specific uh, policy matters. Um, number one is is securing our economic future, and so what what that looks like, you know, for me is um, making sure that we're continuing to maintain a environment that's conducive to economic growth. Um, we've been able to do that in North Carolina, and that's why you know we were recently ranked. Um, Governor Cooper uh, sort of accepted the award number one for business, um, and that's because you know we've done a couple things. For one, we've we've maintained a low tax environment, and that's really important. It's it's it's, it's made us much more competitive um, regionally as compared to a lot of our peer states in the region. Um, number two, we maintain a regulatory environment that's business friendly. Those two things are really important. But there's a third thing that we that is really important for Southern Wake County that we have to have, and that is we have to invest in our infrastructure. So, um, you know, what what I like to talk about is you get a virtuous cycle when you maintain a pro-economic growth environment. Um, and generally, it's what we've seen, we've been able to expand the tax base, lower rates, then that creates more revenue, and we've had record revenues in North Carolina, and then you can invest those revenues in the important public functions that then are necessary to support that growth. One of those big things I'll talk about is education, um, but one of them is making sure we have the infrastructure to support all the economic growth, and with the economic growth comes residential growth and everything that Holly Springs and Apex and these areas um, frankly, it's a lot of the, the challenges to the quality of life that we deal with in terms of traffic and making sure we have bread and butter um, government services like clean water and reliable energy and things like that. So, um, you know, my, one of the things I really want to work on is making sure that we're delivering 
uh, state dollars and infrastructure for our district. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that uh, I think is, is a little bit of a, a difference between me and my opponent. Um, it's something that I talk about, uh, for, for example, in, in the 2021-2022 sessions this last year, um, there was a big bipartisan budget compromise that passed the state house 104 to 10. Uh, Governor Cooper signed it and it provided you know, millions of dollars for the town of Apex and COVID recovery funds, some of which can be used for sewer and water um, infrastructure. It provided um, millions of dollars for Apex, for, I mean, I'm sorry, for Holly Springs for a, a substantial economic development project. And those are infrastructure funds are necessary. Um, and, you know, Governor Cooper signed it, as I mentioned, and um, but that my opponent voted against it. Julie Von Hafen, um, when the state house, she was one of the 10 uh, people that voted against it. Um, you know, for me, investing in infrastructure to support the growth is critical and having a seat at the table so that we also get transportation funding and we make sure that our um, our roads are uh, adequate to support our needs is really important. That's part of that virtuous growth cycle. And that, those are those are 10 and 20 year propositions. I mean, the, the reality is that, um, you know, a, a, a one budget year um, that that money is critical. It may be three or four years before you start really seeing the results. But that's the type of long term mm -hmm. thinking and investment um, that we need, because um, if we don't do that, we're going to we're going to outgrow the the infrastructure and support we have. And it's going to lead to bad outcomes. And, you know, we're going to lose the care of our talent that we love. Um, this, so that's one sort of big theme and, and some of the specifics. The second big theme is education. And where I'm particularly passionate and interested in working is thinking about higher education reform so that we can ensure that we have job training options um, and multiple access points for our students um, so that we can keep costs low for traditional four-year degree, um, which I think is really important. Um, and we don't let tuition costs get out of control. You know, right now our state institutions are reasonable compared to their peer institutions, um, but they're still expensive. And the cost of college overall is really expensive. And one of the ways that we can uh, control um, those costs is by ensuring we have adequate programs where um, people who may not need a traditional four-year degree, but want a traditional or an alternative, they can pursue it. Um, that's why investing in our community colleges is so important. Wake Tech um, that we have, we have is, is a great resource. And as industry continues then um, to this area, and Holly Springs is a great example. We've got substantial biotechnology companies coming in. You know, I, I've talked with some of the folks at some of these companies that come in. They, they talk about being able to partner with high school curriculum and, and create training programs where people can graduate from high school and jobs you know, right out of school at 18, making $60,000 a year. Uh, and you're talking about if, if that's the sort of skill manufacturing opportunity you have versus borrowing $100,000, you're talking about a $350,000 change in someone's economic life in, in four years. Um, so, you know, th those are some things that I'm really interested in working on. Uh, and again, having an adequately uh, educated workforce is, is part, again, of that virtuous cycle. Um, and it's really critical on the education side, you know, to get to higher education, you've got to have um, the support through you know, the K through 12 side as well. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm, I talk about education in terms of innovate and invest. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I am interested in working on, you know, we hear a lot in, in Wake County, we're having a, a, a real challenge with a teacher shortage. 
Um, and, you know, I want to have increased teacher pay that's going to help us recruit and retain this um, and brightest for our classroom. Um, I think we need to, you know, adjust the way that we compensate our teachers. There's been efforts in the past um, by General Assembly, including from people in my own party, um, who I think that, I think that there's there's a, a reasonable rationale behind the way that they've approached sort of structuring pay, which is sort of front loaded to root teachers. But what we're finding is um, that isn't having the sort of the long term net positive effects that we needed to have in order to hold on to teachers that we invested in. Um, so I I'm, want to look at changing that and um, getting back to um, a model where, you know, you don't have sort of long pauses for years and state funding and state raises for teachers. Um, and, you know, my, my mom is a teacher. She's taught in public schools and private schools. My aunt just retired as a public school principal, middle school principal. My grandma was a public school teacher. My granddad was a high school football coach and superintendent of public schools out in the mountains. So, you know, these kind of issues are, are things that are, are really, really important. Um, I think Republicans often get, uh, you, you know, get, get, get branded for, for whatever reason as, as not supporting education, but, um, you know, for me, it's part of that long-term future. Um, and it's really important for making sure that regardless of, you know, someone's socioeconomic level, um, that they have opportunity for the, the kind of education that's going to let them get a good job. Um, and it's going to let them, you know, become and learn how to be a productive member of our society. And so, um, so that's a big one. And then, then the last big theme, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going on here, so just jump in whenever you want, Karen, but the last big theme <laughs> is, um, is, public safety. And, you, you know, again, you're hearing these consistent uh, chords that I'm hitting about growth, but we all know it. We all, those of us that live here in Southern Wake County, I mean, we just mean all of the people um, and all of the homes. And, you know, as you have growth, you're going to have more opportunities and, and the crime will follow if you don't uh, make good investments in supporting our law enforcement. Um, and so that's something that I'm really um, interested in doing. I, you know, I've, I've seen a little bit of what that world looks like uh, being a federal prosecutor. And, um, you know, it's something that I think that there's a lot of different things we can do at the state level, both with respect to making sure we're, we're focusing on tough sentences for violent criminals, um, but also just supporting our law enforcement, make sure they have the resources they need. Because around here, thankfully, you know, all the violent crime is on the rise. Um, you know, in Wake County and elsewhere down here, that's not where we're starting. You know, we're starting with the car break-ins in people's neighborhoods and um, we're starting, you know, with concerns about uh, drugs and, and things like that. But, you know, that's, if you don't nip that in the bud, um, then you do see this stuff come right in behind it. And particularly as we continue to grow, um, we're going to see that. And we, we're fortunate to live in safe communities, but, you know, they won't stay that way unless we're committed to keeping them that way. Um, so mm -hmm. those are the kind of big themes and the issues that, uh, that I, I really want to work on. And, um, you know, again, I think if, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected and people want to work, uh, uh, you know, want to look back on two years from now and say, well, what, you know, what, what did our guy up in Raleigh do? You know, my hope is I'm, I'm known for both the how and the what, you know, how I hope everyone can look back and say, you know, that guy said he was committed to bipartisanship. He was a bipartisan leader and getting making solutions happen. Uh, that's the how. And the what is, you know, I heard they say that guy was committed to making sure we have really strong economic development. It's going to deliver good jobs. And he worked on higher education reform to give us a higher education um, or, or to give us better uh, widespread access and alternatives 
um, to keep costs low and to have an educated and trained workforce. So when you're going around doing your door knocking on Saturdays, what what have you been hearing from voters? What kinds of things are they interested in? Pretty much the same alignment with what you just talked about, or are there other things that come up? Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's interesting. People people are uh, people are interested in a whole variety of issues. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have right now in our country uh, is that, and it's no secret to anybody, but we, we are highly polarized. And I mm-hmm. tell people, I you know, we, when there was once a time, I'm sure it was true in Wake County, it's true in a lot of other places where, you know, if you're going to go door to door and knock on a neighborhood, you know, you can kind of go to all your people and elections are really about, you know, can we get our people to show up or, or is the other side going to get their people to show up? But in areas like Southern Wake County, you know, the again, almost half the voters are unaffiliated. That's not part of the game. You go to a lot of houses. Um, and when you walk up to that door, um, you don't know who, you know, if some, when someone answers, you may know that they're an unaffiliated voter, but you have no idea where they're going to be coming from um, with respect to how they're thinking about the world. So I think that's really been beneficial uh, for me uh, because when I go do that, you know, I hear from people that are very firmly, they may be unaffiliated, very firmly in, in sort of the Democrat camp on, on most issues. I, I hear from some that are very firmly in the Republican camp on a lot of issues. Um, and, you know, I tell people, we used to say things like, you know, you go talk to somebody from California, you go talk to somebody from South Carolina, it's like they're living in different worlds. Um, I tell people right now, it feels like when I go knock door to door, it's like there's people living in different worlds, but they're literally living right next door to each other. Um, and so that's a, an interesting phenomenon. But uh, generally, when I when I talk about bipartisanship, that is something that lots of people want. A lot of people are fed up and just feel like our politics is toxic um, and they 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 want uh, people that care about the issues. Um, and then, you know, whatever's kind of on the news is is oftentimes driving what people uh, care about. So even though I'm a state uh, level, you know, candidate, I get questions if immigration's in the news, I get questions about immigration, you know, say, well, it's really, call your congressman about that. It's really more of a matter of federal law. Um, you know, th- there are these issues, particularly surrounding abortion. Um, and that's been in the news a lot over the last few months. And uh, that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, inflation and the sort of economy. I mean, that's really high on people's uh, minds and, and gas prices and energy prices. And, um, you know, those are those are a lot of the big things that are on folks' minds. And when I talk to voters, you know, most people just care about their sort of bread and butter issues. They care about, you know, what what's the cost of living look like? How am I going to educate my kids? Um, and do I feel like life right now and the quality of it is getting better or is getting worse. Um, and the unfortunate reality is because of some of the economic challenges that we have right now, a lot of people are getting worse. Um, and we're, we're insulated a little bit from in Southern Wake County because we've, we've had so many good jobs. Um, but that's why it's so important to, to maintain that, you know, virtuous economic cycle. So, you know, that's really the way to fight inflation um, and, and to allow people to maintain a good quality of life and difficult economic circumstances is by keep making sure that we keep delivering good jobs and people coming here, businesses coming here. Okay. So if you, um, if you win and you're elected and you're all excited and you go and you start, you know, doing the sessions for the North Carolina house, 
Do you think that you are going to act more as a representative of what the people in your district want? Or do you see that role as more of a, I need to make decisions that are best for them, best for those constituents? So does that, I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that quite right. It's late and I've I'm almost out of words. My brain is almost shutting down for the day. But do you know what I mean? Do do you yeah. are you going to vote based on what your constituents want you to do, or are you going to say this is what I think need, is best, and you elected me to represent you? So what what do you? What's your philosophy on that? Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good question, um, and I think the answer is is that it's a little bit of both, right? So. Yeah, we we live in a republic where we represent individuals and we have these lengthy campaigns. And I think part of the reason we elect folks is because, you know, we are trusting them and and we are making assessments about their judgment um, so they can apply those judgments to questions that, you know, we don't all all have time to, you know, have a sort of quote unquote direct democracy where we all, all, you know, million of us in Wake County decide every issue. So I I certainly think that as a representative, I owe my constituents my judgment. um, And that's why I believe that face to face campaigning is why I spend hours every day uh, or I mean, every Saturday, you know, knocking on door to door um, is because, you know, I want as many people to make an informed choice as possible uh, so they can ask me questions and they can assess that judgment because it's a it's a it's a choice of a very distinct uh decision and in this case between me and my opponent you know it's a big contrast um between us and so i think i want people to um you know be able to to trust that judgment at the same time i I absolutely believe that i owe my uh, constituents a duty to represent them uh and so those those things are at the constant sort of chorus of trying to assess your judgment and and where people are assessing where people are can often be difficult. But now abortion is a great example of the issue where, you know, for me, that's a place where representation, particularly at this moment in time, coming off of uh, the decision in in, um, U.S. Supreme Court and Dobbs is really important. And if folks want to learn more about my abortion position, they can go to my website. I have a page dedicated to it. I have a statement that, uh, you know, frankly, political consultants don't, you know, probably would not like because it's really, really long uh, and, and, and pretty detailed um, in addition to a video where you can hear that. And, and, and you know, it's a great example of, you know, I'm a pro-life. Um, as I say on my uh, website, I detail sort of the origins of my pro-life views and what exactly that means. Um, but I also am a realist and understand that, you know, on, on this issue, it's it's very clear. It's not always that clear, but it's very clear from, you know, polling. And it's, it's consistent with my anecdotal experience, you know, talking to voters that, you know, most people don't have the same, you know, pro-life views and sort of commitments that I do. And so, you know, the, the question is, but, but nonetheless, there is widespread disagreement on these issues. Um, and so going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, Karen, I, mean, I think that the, the question is when you have that disagreement, is what do you do about the disagreement? Um, and, you know, what I think that we should do and sort of articulate is I think we should represent, you know, we, we should, I should as a representative vote consistent with my duty as a representative for where I can think, I think that most people are. 
Um, and, you know, on, on the abortion issue, I'll, I'll lay that out. You know, that's no total ban on abortion. It's pretty clear that most people don't want a total ban. That means exceptions to any kind of limitations for, you know, rape and incest, the life of the mother. It includes, um, you know, I, I, I want to hear more from medical professionals, but I think, you know, certainly medical discretion for certain types of issues for non-viable pregnancies and certain types of fetal abnormalities. You know, those are the kind of things in a complicated issue like abortion where the law is interacting with medical practice. You need thoughtful people that are going to really get in there and assess that stuff. But I think most people agree that, that we should have those exceptions. I also think most people agree that there should be reasonable time limits on elective abortion. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's the difference between my opponent and I. Um, but I think that that's consistent with representing where most people are. Um, and I also think most people disagree uh, that, uh, or I, I should say, most people agree that we shouldn't use taxpayer funding for abortion. Um, and because I think that's respectful of the widespread disagreements and sort of moral objections that people have. So, you know, that, that's what I've said that I, I will vote consistent with those principles um, on that issue. And it's a, it's a, it's an example, I think, of where, you know, I, I come at that issue from a particular perspective, even legally how I think things should operate. But understanding when when the people you're you're representing, you're at odds with them. Um, I think that, you know, you have a duty to represent the people that elected you. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about how many people are um, registered as unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. I feel like and this is just my opinion and thoughts that I've had uh, talking to all of the candidates lately. I feel like a lot of the unaffiliated people have registered as such because they don't like how um, polar everything has gotten. They don't want to um, be, you know, linked up with all of the far left people or all of the far right people. And I think that the worry is that when a candidate um, from either party uh, talks about their, you know, kind of neutral middle of the ground kind of thoughts, I think that people worry that as soon as you get elected, you're going to get into lockstep with the party that you um, affiliate with. Um, so I think that that's kind of one of the reasons that people go unaffiliated is because they don't want to be either one of the extremes. Um, but once politicians get elected from either party, if a Democrat gets elected, people worry that they're going to just pop over to the you know, Bernie Sanders kind of camp and Republicans are going to go, you know, to, you know, the far right kind of stuff. Are you saying that if you get elected and the abortion issue comes up, would you go against the Republican group in the House if they were for an all out ban? Would you would you stick to this or would you? Would you kind of stick with um, your party? Yeah. So, you, you know, what I've described, I think, is consistent with probably where North Carolina is going to end up. Um, mm -hmm. And now I, I haven't spoken with every single member, obviously, of the North Carolina right. you know, House Caucus or the Senate Caucus. But I think even if you listen to what the legislative leadership has talked about, I, I, there, there really is, is, is no one that I have heard on the leadership side has even been talking about an all-out ban. It all includes exceptions. And then there's differences um, currently in the discussion about kind of where those reasonable uh, time limits on elective abortion are. So, um, 
but you know, my, my view is, uh, and this is something I, I, I thought, and that's why my statement is so long, uh, on my, on my website, uh, um, is because I, I think on this issue in particular, um, we need thoughtful people and thoughtful people, uh, who can really understand the issues are the people who are going to lead in the legislative process. And there's a legislative process that leads to ultimate legislation that gets voted on. Um, and, you know, my, my, my belief is that, um, you know, what I've articulated, generally speaking, it's, it's, it's really pretty clear from the, um, about where most people are. And so that's where I think that we should go. And that's what, that's how I'm going to vote consistent with that. Um, and personally, I mean, it's hard to make a prediction, but, you know, that's where I think North Carolina will go in the future, because um, I think that that's just where that's where most people are in the state. And it's, a, it's also a reasonable uh, you know, compromise between people who feel strongly um, on both sides of, of, you know, I think, accomplishing goals that, that everybody can live with. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying if there were and I, I fully get that you say that you haven't heard any rumblings about an all out ban. But if there were, you would st- stick to the um, I'm, I'm not I don't remember what you called it, um, just kind of the reasonable. Uh, limits. Yeah, you I, I can go, tell you this. Maybe what I say on my the, website, I'm. I'm not going to vote for uh, to, to ban all abortion in North Carolina next year. Okay. That's yeah, what that, I, that's that, what I said I on my just, on my video. Yes that's no, what I so. said. Yeah, that's what yeah. I said online. And, and, and it's an important question, Karen. And the reason why, and I appreciate you asking it directly. Um, we, going back to the beginning of our conversation about you know getting into politics and knowing that people are going to make assumptions or knowing that people mm-hmm. are going to say things about you that aren't true. Um, the the currently based on what I've seen in other races. Um, you know, I, I fully expect there to be efforts uh, for uh, on the Democratic side to convince voters that I'm going to vote to ban all abortion in North Carolina next year. That's why I've said very clearly I'm not going to vote to ban all abortion in North Carolina next year. And anyone who says otherwise is lying and they're not they're not being truthful. Um, now, we can all have different disagreements on where we're going to draw different lines. I've staked out you know, my position, I think, pretty clearly on the on the relevant issues, because it is complicated. And these are nuanced issues. And I think before we actually draft legislation, I think it's really important to have hearings with medical professionals because, you know, they're the people that are going to ultimately um, be the ones that are, where, where law is going to interact with practice. And as somebody who has, you know, pra- a practicing attorney, I, I think it's really important that we, you know, get those things right. I had an OBGYN friend of mine um, who is a friend from college recently email me about, you know, she had read my abortion position and she had some different, you know, thoughts on it and takes. And I, I read her back and I said, thanks so much for sharing this with me because I just think, you know, and, and it, this wasn't, uh, you're, you know, you're completely wrong. Like you should, you know, I hope you never get elected. It was, you know, <laughs> if you get elected, these are really important things that you need to be thinking about. And, you know, it wasn't an effort to score political points. It was honest, experience-based expressions of thoughts between friends. And, and that's what we need more of in, in politics, uh, in my view. And those I, are the I kind totally of representatives that, that we need. And we need people who are, going, who are able to do that um, and, and able to engage in those discussions, um, you know, and, and, and then translate that into actual legislation. 
and not just run to their corners and sit in front of a press conference and, you know, parrot lines that are handed to them, you know, from other people. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that is going to be, and, and uh, you know, I hope listeners may have gathered this, Karen, I hope you and our conversations gathered this. You know, I'm going to somebody that's going to try to engage in a thoughtful way. People are going to disagree with me all the time. Uh, 100% that's going to happen. Um, you know, there's lots of people who may listen to this and go, well, that guy, he seems like a nice guy. I'm never voting for him. That's totally fine. That's the, that's the nation of peace. You know, that's just how, how it goes. Um, but what I hope people will, will realize is that, uh, you know, I'm going to engage with these issues in a thoughtful way. Um, and that's what we, that's, that's what we as the people of North Carolina and the United States, that's what we deserve from our leaders. Um, we, we may not always disagree, but we, we, sh- we should deserve and we should expect them to engage and listen and, um, and, and be thoughtful of these policies. Well, I, I appreciate your time tonight, and we have really talked about a lot of heavy stuff. So I know that that's that's um, that's a lot for almost nine o'clock on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so tell me something that you think would surprise voters about you. Mm. Well, I think uh, something that would surprise voters perhaps uh, is that I am a fast food aficionado as i like to tell people so i love i love any fast food pretty much and uh i I recently had the chance to go speak uh and meet with um the political club at apex high school and i was joking with their president because uh i i came across an article that he wrote for the apex high um paper which addressed the pros and cons and debate between going to Taco Bell or Bojangles, which are right across from Apex High. Um, yes, and I they told are. Him, I was like, as someone who frequents both Bojangles and Taco Bell, I have very uh, strong opinions uh, on on those. And uh, but anyway, I, so that may surprise may surprise folks. Um, maybe not, but yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> so the what's your favorite? Crunch, the cheesy gordita oh. crunch uh, at Taco Bell is arguably the most elite fast food product out there uh so taco bell is your favorite place well i don't know if i would say taco bell is my favorite place of all the fast food places it is the place that my wife refuses to go so therefore when i am uh, on the road on my own uh that's where i usually hit up um so when we're in the car as a family you know we're much more likely to hit you know chick-fil-a or mcdonald's or or Bojangles. But uh, when I'm on the road, uh, as I occasionally am for legal practice or otherwise, if I'm feeling hungry, no one's with me, Taco Bell is where I'm probably going to make a stop. I feel like I'm a bit of an aficionado of ordering um, off-the-menu cookout milkshake combinations. What's your favorite? I like off-menu combos, too. What's your favorite? Well, so there are so many. There are really so many. And um, I will tell you a little warning that if you order a combination of three things, the people will say, are you sure? And they'll look at you kind of weird. So try to stick to a maximum of two. But I'm a big fan of the chocolate and strawberry. Hmm. Uh, the, the peanut butter and strawberry is good together because it's kind of the peanut butter and jelly kind of vibe. Peanut butter and sure. banana. Mm. You can do chocolate malt and Oreo. I mean, 
It's like, I don't know, I'd made an A in statistics a very long time ago, so I could have probably <laughs> figured this out back in 1992. But um, the number of combinations of milkshakes at cookout is crazy. So between that and the fact that they have added walking tacos to their sides menu, it's it's the best. They're good. Yeah, I usually go with the combo of the peanut butter and Oreo together and those okay. are usually See, pretty good. good although yeah. i did one time i think they I, I miss i either misspoke or they misheard and i got a peanut butter oreo banana all three together and it was like you know it was doable i'm not a huge banana like ice cream guy but uh but uh you know the the certainly i'll eat a good peanut butter and banana sandwich so you throw some oreo yeah. in there it was pretty good so maybe next time you can try that one yeah. Well, it has been so fun getting to know you. And um, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. Good luck in your campaign and on Election Day. And uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And to all the folks listening out there, particularly in Holly Springs, um, you know, it's great to be able to have a local podcast that really cares about local issues. So thank you, Karen, for the service you're doing for the people of Holly Springs and um, bringing these sort of interest uh, to bear. And uh, if you're around on a Saturday and see a guy in a t-shirt, uh, if it was in July, you would have seen him sweating, you know, my tail off. But uh, now it's a little bit cooler. If you see me come to your door, don't be afraid. It's just, you know, me coming to, to <laughs> talk to you about the issues. But um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show tonight. All right. Well, that's really nice to say. You did a good job. So I'm impressed. <laughs> it's not easy Great. to do this late in the day on a, on a work day. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is uh, the, the one thing about the, the legal training is it, it certainly trains you to be mentally engaged for lengthy periods of time late into the night. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they've been doing it for years and, um, and it's a lot of fun. I, like I said, I, I really enjoy talking through issues and um, things like that. So I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Well, well done. And um, like I said, good luck. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much for listening. Board of Education candidates are up next week. This episode was written, recorded, and produced by me, Karen Shore, with music by Doug Maxwell and Meteorite Productions. Be well, friends. Until next time. Music